This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and welcome back, Jeff Essery. What's up, guys? Oregon. Thanks for holding down the fort for me, Joe, while I was out. I hope everyone had a happy holidays and happy new year as well. I got a little bit of um, rest and relaxation time in, went up to see the in-laws in Oregon, um, and spent a very low-key and um, quarantined Christmas up there. Not quarantined, but you know, socially um, distant and and stuff up there. But um, was able to you know get out and enjoy some nature and did a little skiing and saw the Oregon coast and you know just cleared my mind of all the um, all the all the Bronco stuff. Even though I did I did keep up with it um, while I was there. But um, no no Drew Lock fights up there in Oregon. Did you miss a time, man? Like, I mean, you you basically you left, and John Elway stepped back. Uh, the Capitol was attacked today. It, it's it's been a it's been a it's been a couple weeks, but it's it feels been, like yeah. a lot longer. Yeah, today has been a day, and um, and we're recording this on Wednesday evening. I think it'll go out tomorrow on on Thursday morning. But yeah, today's been a day. The last couple days have been a day in Broncos country with all the news and then you saw the stuff about Joe Ellis as well. And so, yeah, tons to talk about and catch up on. Yeah. And so I, I know, I know for me, I've been trying to work on a post for the last four hours as we, as we kind of sit down to do this and my brain is kind of just kind of getting back into football mode. So I apologize if I have a few less notes than normal, uh, just because again, it's been, it's been a week on today. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's and, and we're not going to pretend that the you know that the stuff that happens today doesn't weigh heavy on you know everybody and everybody. all the you know people people that are listening you know and so yeah. this is a football yeah. podcast and we're going to talk football but you know we're all people and we have lives you know outside of what we talk about on here and um, we realize that that affects uh, uh, people on a day to day basis and it affects us too so that's yeah. we're all in this together um, but with that we do want to dig in and um, I. You know, we didn't get a chance to talk the the Raider game. I don't want to rehash a ton of the stuff, but what was your thoughts just quickly on the? I mean, you know, we finished out the season now, so Denver yeah. loses to the Raiders. 
Drew Locke does, um, has a pretty good game. What did you think after watching the tape of the game? So I went into the game thinking that the best possible outcome, and I, again, I'm not rooting for this. So like I, I try to separate the part of me that does like the objective, like trying to be, I try to be objective when I watch the film as much as I can, but also at the same time, like I've loved the Broncos for 20 years now. Like I've, I've been a huge fan forever. So like I'm rooting for a win, but at the same time, like from an objective standpoint, I think losing the way they lost may have been probably the best possible outcome. Uh, and I, and I, again, I'm not, I, I didn't root for it. I'm not trying to say that they should have thrown the game, but Drew Locke looked pretty good. Jerry Judy looked very good. Uh, Tim Patrick looked good. Draymond Jones looked good. Uh, but then a rebuilt secondary that had their 10th starting cornerback looked really, really bad. Um, and honestly, when I went back over the, the defensive tape, the, there was so many lapses in coverage that I would almost say it's really hard to, to properly judge a lot of other players on the defense because basically Derek Carr, whenever he really wanted to, he could count on going after either Parnell Motley and a couple different times he knew he was going to be able to get Michael Ojemudia. And also the issues with those two were creating issues for Josie Jewell, Alexander Johnson. And there was a couple times where it got in, it got Will Parks in trouble as well. So it's hard to be overly critical on any player on the defense because I think the entire situation was so difficult that they were just going to, they were going to have a bad day regardless. And, I, and Justin Simmons kind of touched on this at the very end of his press conference where the communication errors and you and I have talked to Cody Alexander. We've talked to Blitzology, uh, Coach Vaughn, like communication is such a big part of what the defense does. And that, particularly in Fangio's scheme. Yeah. So the overlaps in coverage when there's not enough communication between the players or guys don't know what they're supposed to be doing. You have issues like what happened against the Raiders. Yeah. And I think we saw that last year as well. Like when they were installing a new system, trying to get into Fangio's system, we saw a lot of lapses like that too. And, you know, for the most part, those were worked out with reps and the defense has played really, really well throughout most of this year. And honestly, I feel like they've made the best of, a lot of really tough injuries that they've had throughout the year. And so, I mean, I, I think you probably take these last probably four games, I would say that Denver has been playing so shorthanded on the defensive side with, you know, as a bit of a, a bit of a mulligan, particularly with all the injuries that they've had in the secondary. Um, and that's not even counting all the injuries they had on the front seven. And, and I thought the front seven played pretty good. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was honestly, again, when I was watching the broadcast, I kept noticing Draymond Jones and I've noticed him in a couple other games this year, but I just, there's been so many storylines going on with so many other pieces and it's just been hard to kind of, it's been hard to go back and just zero in on one player over a course of a few games. It's one of those things I really look forward to doing this off season, but like quietly kind of underneath all the chaos that happened, Draymond Jones, I think he's on the verge of a real breakout next year. If he can, again, if things go right from, from here, uh, because again, like this last couple of weeks, like he was dominating. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I do share your sentiment on, you know, when we watch the tape from a, um, at least for me, watching the tape from a, a week to week perspective, you're looking at overall stuff that happened. You're looking at trends. I mean, you don't, we don't have time. I haven't had the chance to dig in and watch every Draymond Jones snap him specifically from the, you know, the end zone angle and, and stuff like that. And so, 
Um, I know we'll we'll talk that once we get it deep into the offseason yeah. of looking at the roster and looking back at the tape of how those guys performed and and stuff like that. And so um, that's one that I am looking forward to doing because he's a guy that I was excited to see. Um, and OJ Moody is another guy that I'm looking forward to you know watching all the reps. I mean, there will be some that'll be ugly and it'll be bumpy, but um, I'm excited to to pop that on and you know kind of look through each of those. Uh, different pieces and and really that's what you have to do for this season is i think take it at a more individual level and i mean honestly that's what the new gm to, to kind of transition into that conversation that's probably what the new gm is going to be doing you know you got to look at it on a specific basis um because when they put it when you put it all together the you know you did have some of those communication issues and things like that but that doesn't mean that um there's not talent on the on the roster and particularly on the defensive side it was just you know, they're they're so beat up. It, it kind of reminds me of 2018 because uh, 2018 I kind of looked at the at one point I was looking at Cortland Sutton's production, and I actually kind of tried to cut down the offense into three segments of when Cortland Sutton was playing with Demarius uh, Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, when it was just him and Emmanuel Sanders, and then when it was just him. And I kind of think that that's one of those things we're going to have to do with the defense is kind of look at it like kind of before people got back the middle part of the season when most of the defense was sort of healthy. And then when everything just fell apart, because at one point the Broncos defense was peaking around like six by DVOA. That was pretty damn good. Yeah. Like, and, and then all of a sudden they just lost their entire defensive line. Like it hollowed out in the middle and they were down to just Draymond Jones. And at that point it was when I was saying that uh, McTelvin regime should come in. Uh, And then at the back end of the season, it was just, there was no cornerbacks left. There was no defensive line left. And at the very end, we didn't have Bradley Chubb. So basically, all the best players on the Broncos' defense, other than Justin Simmons, were out. You know what's crazy, though, and I just pulled this up, is Denver ended up with all of that. Denver did end up finishing number one in red zone scoring defense in the NFL. That's two years running now under Vic Fangio. With In both years, you could argue really tough rosters. I mean, last year, they struggled at cornerback. Um, you had Bradley Chubb was hurt. They really had no pass rush to speak of outside of Von Miller. And, um, I think, I mean, the communication in the secondary was working its way out. You still had Jack guys like Jackson and Simmons and stuff, but it wasn't like a full strength defense. And this year for sure, for them to be number one in the, in the NFL, that's coaching. And that's a, that's all credit to Vic Fangio and his staff and what they've done with this defense. And, and that's a good, uh, that's actually exactly why I wasn't really upset about Fangio using his timeout for the two point play. I know it didn't work out. And I know, again, if you zoom in, it looks like a really bad decision, but I just mean, if you, if you kind of look at it from his point of view of he's coached the best red zone defense in terms of people getting into the end zone for two years now, like I can understand why he would have confidence that he can stop a two point play. Well, it's not even just the confidence that you can stop that, but if your choices are between that and what you have to turn around and go do on offense, given the way that the offense is played, you're clearly going to go all in for that. And so I think the biggest argument that I've seen from people is, well, if you're going to do that, just get out there and play defense then and don't let the Raiders, you know, make the Raiders take their timeout or let them get confused and not, you know, make them take the penalty. I think they were actually out of timeout. So make them take the penalty. Um, you know, I think the the big criticism is that it helped the Raiders. But if they weren't lined up and they thought this was their shot 
to really this was where they were going to buckle down and win the game. I can't I can't really fault them for for doing so, that. I don't think it was a I think it was a, a tactical decision. I may not agree with the tactical decision, but I don't think it was an error. I don't think it was a mistake. Same. And that's I generally like I have more faith in an offense in general in those kind of situations. So I would have probably also saved the timeout myself. But again, like Fangio has been doing this a little bit longer than you and I have. And I feel like he had every reason to be confident that that would have worked out for him. It just didn't work out. Yeah. And there's a difference between just screwing up, which we've seen Fangio do. Right. And so I'm not going to pull punches on that. Like he's, he does have issues. Tennessee was a screw up. Week one was definitely a screw up. Yeah. So there's a difference between that where it's like going back, he would, you know, he would say, yeah, I screwed that up or we got to change that or, or whatever. And just not agreeing with the call, you know? And so I can handle not agreeing with the call that they made, even though I, I, I get it. And I think that, um, it makes sense. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not as up in arms about it. Like a lot of people were that day. Mm-mm. Um, so kind of the other thing, the other thing is Julak looked decent against the Raiders. I, I, I think, you know, credit where credit is due. You and I have been pretty critical of him. I thought he looked pretty okay. It's worth noting again that the Raiders' pass defense is a like going back over the tape of their pass defense. Holy crap, their pass defense is bad. <laughs> but at the same time, you still got to make the throws, and Locke was making the throws for the most part. Yeah, I did think that um, Jerry Judy coming back and having a big game was huge. I mean, obviously yeah. he has that huge run, and so when you look at it from a statistical perspective, that's going to inflate things, but. I mean, Locke hit some big passes to a couple different guys. He had a um, another big one to Judy. He had a big one to Tim Patrick. Um, he got Noah Fant involved, even though Fant has been kind of beat up and, and stuff. And so, um, Tyree Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, Tyree Cleveland got involved. Um, he that was four that catches. Was cool to see. Yeah. yeah. And and again, like the offense is another one of those. Um, that like you, it's kind of like the cornerback situation. I mean, you didn't expect to have Tyree Cleveland, and I think Deontay Spencer got like a huge chunk of snaps as well, um, even though he wasn't super involved production-wise in the offense. But you don't plan for those guys to be taking a significant amount of snaps for you. Mm-mm. No, Tim Patrick's injury definitely threw the offense kind of into a situation where they were trying to figure it out. And and we're gonna get to this probably in a little bit. But I had somebody over the last couple of days bring up to me that it doesn't make sense to pay Tim Patrick because he's only going to see the field blank amount of times. Injuries happen every single year. And we just watched in the Raiders game. What happens if your receiving core ends up down to two special teamers in Jerry Judy and Deshaun Hamilton? Like that's, that's essentially what happened by the end of the Raider game. So yes, I have no problem paying Tim Patrick. That's it. Yeah. Let's talk. We should talk that when we talk, like we like have a breakdown of who we should bring back and who we want it. Cause I want to pay Tim Patrick. I mean, I guess it depends on what the what the cost well, is. I, I'm saying I would definitely put a tag on him. Like I would keep him for a tender for this year because that's what he, he's a restricted free agent. I would definitely, I personally would apply a second round tender. I think the number is about three million. With with everybody else on offense on a rookie deals or almost everybody else on the offense on rookie deals, I have no problem paying Tim Patrick three million dollars to stick oh, around yeah. for another year. And yeah. if somebody else wants to give us a second round pick for him, like that's that's a whole another discussion because the second round pick is a second round pick. That's four more years of a rookie contract. But Tim Patrick's playing like a $3 million plus dollar receiver. Yeah, year. yeah. Okay, so yeah. Paying paying as in bringing him back. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I want to no, sign him to a long-term deal. No, the problem... And, and 
I don't have a problem with Tim Patrick on a long-term deal other than the fact that you're about to have to turn around and pay Cortland Sutton. And once you pay Cortland Sutton, if you have Tim Patrick on a long-term deal, the money starts to get kind of weird at receiver. Um, if, if you get him on a kind of deal where you could get out of it by the time Jerry Judy's up for a deal, that's, I could see how that would make sense. I still like, you're going to have to get kind of creative with some of the other things you're doing. Um, but in terms of a, a tag, I have no problem giving them that. Yeah, yeah, bring him back as a because rest- he's a restricted free agent. Um, I would yeah. bring him back. I do think that it'll be interesting to see how the receiver room shakes out. And again, we can have this conversation as we dig in each of the pieces throughout the offseason. There will be plenty of offseason to talk about this. But how you know what the snap share starts to look like when you have Hamler and Jerry Judy now who have a year under their belt in the offense, and now you have Cortland Sutton. Like that's three receivers that you really hope really step up and become the guys. And so. There isn't a ton of, I mean, you can rotate them in, but there isn't a ton of snap, like starting level snaps in air quotes um, for a guy like a, a Tim Patrick, even though I think with Hamler's health and all that, it's good to keep him around, but it will be interesting to see how that shakes out. So I, I guess we'll start with Elway, but we also are going to have to talk Ellis a little bit because that really caught me off guard today. I did not see that coming at all, but Elway's not the GM or he's not going to be the GM. Like that, I was in the middle of the tape study on the Raiders when that dropped and I just, I tweeted it out and I only tweeted out the exact thing I was thinking. And I just said, holy F or not F, but I had, I said, I dropped an explicative, but like <laughs> that floored me. I, well, it's one of those things like I know in our Slack, like mile Hardport Slack channel, you, me, Scotty, and some of the other guys have talked about it. And I've definitely brought up before, like, it would be good if Elway stepped back and hired somebody. I never thought he was going to do it. Like yeah. it just didn't occur to me that 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 was even a possibility. Yeah, voluntarily, I think that's what rocked me a little bit. And I had said it was funny because I had, I was on a um, radio segment that morning and had said something to the to the effect of you know it'll be interesting off season next like next off season will be a key one or this season yeah. upcoming is a big one because John Elway's contract is up next year and and all of that. It's all the stuff that we've talked in Broncos country, right? And I feel like that's kind of what at least I was expecting and what I think most people were expecting is if John Elway is, was going to um, not be with the Broncos anymore, it was going to be after one more year. His contract would be up. Either they were, you know, he had righted the ship and they were kind of in the right direction and maybe he steps away and lets someone else take the reins or it's it's blow it up mode and things went horribly wrong in 2021 and they have no choice but to let him go or not bring him back or whatever. But I would, I did not see the voluntary, you know, as much as it is voluntary, the voluntary nature of what happened and it happening this year. Like it, it surprised mm-hmm. me. And, and I've kind of tried to look at it from both like what everybody t- like tied into the Broncos has been saying about how, it was all Elway's decision, like Ellis talked to him, that kind of thing. But then at the back of my mind, I kept thinking like the way Elway – and again, I'm, it's because I'm a doubter and I'm a pessimist and I do try to like weigh all that out. But the way Elway talked about it, I couldn't help but think that Ellis probably had some sway in it. But then for Ellis to then turn around today and now he's stepping back, it was like, all right, well, then I have no idea what's going on with that stuff. Like yeah. that – like the palace intrigue of it is insane. Yeah, I think that's a that's a super interesting twist on it because it did feel like there was some level of like okay, you know, he's being he's not being forced out, but it's a conversation of like, look, we let's let's have you transition. We want to treat you right and make sure this works, you know, from a PR perspective and all of that and um I mean, they did 
even though the internet takes over and talks about, you know, John Elway gives himself a promotion and, and all of that, like they did have it set up really well. I thought from like, you could tell they were very much from a PR perspective, mentioning the step up, step up. Like that was in, Mm -hmm. that was in Elway's language. That was in the PR release. That was in Ellis's language of like, I'm excited to take this step up, not even step aside or step down. It was, step up within the organization. And so it's crazy that then Ellis is, you know, the, the um, piece from Mike Kliss drops and Joe Ellis is going to be stepping down or stepping aside as CEO at the end of next year. And so it kind of begs the question of what happens to Elway after that. Does he stay on in that advisory role with whatever the new, leadership structure looks like or was is this just a transition for both of them and Elway gets a year to be in this advisory role and kind of fades off into the distance after his official contract is up and I kind of feel like we're not going to know until we see it happen like yeah. or until somebody reports that what's going to happen because the way Elway talked during his press release he was saying like oh I hope the GM comes to me or oh I hope I can stay around after my contract's up like like he sounded at the time. And that's one of the things that really led me to thinking that Ellis kind of pushed him because it sounded like Elway wanted to have some sway still, but wasn't necessarily going to get it. But if Ellis is now stepping away after next year, there remains a very real possibility that Elway essentially steps into the Ellis role, or it could be somebody completely different. Like we yeah. honestly have no idea right now. Yeah. And that, that honestly, like in hindsight now, knowing it, I can't believe that John Elway didn't know that when he and Ellis had that conversation, yeah. right? Yep. For it to, for it to drop just a day after. And so I think in hindsight hearing that now, it makes more sense that Elway would be kind of tentative on what his role is actually going to look like because he's not sure what the new leadership is going to is going to do. Um, you know, and so if even if this new GM that they bring in like I think that's that's probably the thing that gives me the most confidence. And, and this is not because like I don't have you guys know, like if you follow my stuff and this podcast, like I don't have a lot of qualms with John Elway as a GM. I mean, Same. I think he did a really good job as the Broncos GM. All the losses, you know, the last five years included. Um, you could argue that obviously his job is to win and he didn't win, but you know, finding an NFL quarterback is not an easy task and many GMs have been fired and let go and recycled through and all of that because they couldn't do the same thing. And, you know, the fact that John Elway's struggling with that isn't surprising to me. And so like, I don't, I don't share this, you know, one swath of Bronco Broncos country sentiment that Elway was a giant screw up and they needed to get rid of him. But it does give me faith that when a new administration comes in like you always want to believe that that new administration you want to trust that they're making decisions that they think is best and so regardless of Elway being good or not like I, I think he did a good job but I still want him to stay out of the new GM's business that's a long way of saying that like that's where I'm going with it is you want the G, the new GM same with like the head coach and that was always the stuff with Vance Joseph and stuff is like how much power does he actually have like you want to know that the GM has the GM powers it's a ed, that the head coach has the head coach powers that there isn't some thumb on the scale in, you know, whether it's a quarterback competition or a free agency decision or scouting or whatever it is, you want to have clear delineation of roles and guys trusting each other. And so hopefully the new GM can come in kind of clean on that because he does know that 
I mean, Joe Ellis is walking out the door. John Elway is stepping back into or stepping up into an advisory role. Like there's not, there's not a ton of, I mean, as a new GM, like there's not a ton of accountability at the top um, that, you know, would give you a lot of pressure. I think if you wanted to come in and kind of do what you wanted to do, which I think is a good thing. I think it's interesting that there's definitely a big segment of Broncos country that want to think that this Broncos job is appealing, but at the same time, they're really happy that Elway's gone. And it's because like this job wouldn't be that appealing if Elway hadn't done a pretty good job at a lot of spots. And I've been pretty critical of Elway because I think he has made some pretty big mistakes, but at the same time, like he's done a really good job drafting receivers. He's done a really good job finding defensive linemen, edge rushers, stuff like that. Like, as a whole, I think he's been pretty good. I think he's screwed up at two really big spots and it's dragged him down to where we are right now. And I also think some bad luck has occurred. Like this in, like no one could have predicted that the Broncos would go through 10 cornerbacks this year. Like that's just a like no one saw that coming. Like I thought this team was going to be a playoff contender. Like I know you did. Like and again, we were optimistic on Locke, but I even I like even as cautiously optimistic on Locke as we were, we said even if Locke's bad, this team is pretty good. Like this team is, has pieces in place. They still do. They just a lot of them are coming off of injured reserve. So I think the whole thing with Ellis does cast a really big question about ownership, and I do think that that is something that. And again, we don't have the answer. Like I'm not touched in. I'm not tied into the people that would know that stuff. But I gotta say, like from a from where we're sitting. The, the fact that Ellis is stepping back, we don't know what's happening with Elway. If I was a GM, you have no idea what's going to happen with ownership. Like if the Broncos go up for sale in two years, if I'm a GM, like that's kind of scary because unless you're winning right then, you're going to be on a hot seat just because most of the time owners come in, they want their own person. Yeah, I do think that it's it the attractiveness of the Denver job is an interesting one, and I don't really have a like a solidified take on that. Like I I asked this question was it two days ago when we were talking about this in the Mile High Report chat, and like legitimately just honestly asking like how attractive do we think this job is? And I think you know there's arguments to be made either way. I think the autonomy that the GM would have is a plus. And all the reasons that you laid out of like the way that Elway has set up the roster, I think that's a plus too. I think there's a lot of young talent. They're on the upswing. I think it was at the beginning of last season, they were one of the youngest rosters in the NFL. You know, mm-hmm. you have an entire remade offense. Even if you don't like your quarterback, you've got an offense that's kind of built that is young enough that you could plug a young quarterback in that you if you could find them and you could replace Locke probably pretty easily. And um, I'm not saying finding an NFL quarterback would be easy, but replacing Locke would be easy. Like you could, you could do either way with him. Um, well, and let's so let's talk about that for a second, just because th- there's been a ton of speculation about Matt Stafford, and it's been going on ceaselessly for about a month now. And part of it's my fault. I definitely brought up, like I'm not saying I'm taking credit for it, but like I definitely wrote what are the actual potential options for the Broncos at quarterback. I think last week. And I mentioned Stafford because there is some talk that Stafford could be moved. Back then, it looked very unrealistic because Elway seemed, everything we've heard, hinted that Elway was very locked into Drew Locke. And you're not going to bring in somebody like Matt Stafford to compete with Drew Locke. You'd be bringing in Matt Stafford to take over for Drew Locke. Like he would be like Peyton Manning taking over for Tim Tebow. You're pushing him aside. The new guy is the guy. 
a new GM could feasibly do that, but everything that like KOAs, Benjamin Albright has said, uh, kind of the, the stuff that Elway has said at like when he was at his presser kind of hints that it sounds like they're going to try and keep the same personnel department in place. So, and that's probably in my, in my opinion, I think that that's why Albright does still believe that someone like Stafford is off the table. Like you're not going to be going out to pay big money for a quarterback. If you're trying to do like win from now on with young pieces growing together. Yeah. And, and obviously the other side of that is what happens on the lion side. And I think, yeah. you know, that's where, that's where some of that, um, there's some barriers there too, is what, ha- you know, if he actually becomes available, but I do think that's, it's kind of a, the dichotomy of what it'll be interesting to see what the new GM does. It'll be who they end up, you know, it, it all depends on who they end up getting, what route he wants to take. Is it the look for the veteran quarterback route? Is it the, you know, try lockout and see what he has? Um, or is it the completely start from the ground up and rebuild, you know, take this as a rebuilding project. And I think a lot of it does hinge on, that's why there's just so many questions things up in the air. It does hinge on what happens with leadership. Like is the GM coming into this job knowing, Hey, I've got a couple years. I've got, mm-hmm. you know, ownership that's behind me. I've got, you know, I've got some leash here to really start and build something. Or is he going to want to come in and try to put a stamp on things immediately and get this roster into winning shape right away we just don't know because those pressures usually come from the ownership level, the president, like the organization. And there's not a very strong, like strong voice within the organization currently if Ellis is the one stepping away. So that could either be a good thing in that he has some leeway and feels like he's got a little bit of leash to build stuff, or it could be a bad thing where he feels like he's got to put points on the board right away in case Mm -hmm. a new owner comes in, wants to clean house or in case, you know, the team gets sold or whatever it is. So I think there are two different approaches that a new GM could take. And I, I would hope he would take the the long route, the latter, but I mean, nobody wants to sit through another three rebuilding seasons either. So it's, well, it's that kind of dichotomy. And it's one of those things too. Like, I mean, I feel like if you're interviewing a GM candidate, now that I, now that it's out that Ellis is stepping back, the first question I would ask in the interview is what's the plan? Like, what, what are we doing? Because if I'm just getting the Broncos in a position where you guys can sell them, my job is to probably win as soon as possible. And then if that's the case, I'm going to try and bring in a veteran who can win because I don't know if Drew Locke can do it. Like, like unless you have a ton of faith that he can make a jump. And again, like we've talked about it and we'll probably go over it more. I know next week we're going to look into Locke really closely. If I'm a GM, like if I know that I have two years before I'm probably on the outs, I'm going to do everything I can to, put my red, like make me look good also, but also like, that's my job is to make the Broncos win. Like I don't have the patience then at that point I'm importing a guy. If I can find a guy. Yeah. And I thought you brought up a couple key questions that were good, um, with the GM and then we'll dig in. We can, uh, I'd like to talk through that and then we can dig into some of the candidates a little bit. I mean, sure. uh, and I'll be honest, I haven't studied a ton of them because the, you know, the, the news is coming out every day of who's, who's there. And I mean, frankly, these guys weren't on my radar. Like, GM looking for a GM was not on my radar. Looking for a quarterback was on my radar. Um, <laughs> GM was not, and so uh, we're playing a little bit of catch up of trying to get to know all these different um, candidates and and things like that. But um, you, I think you asked a couple of really good questions of what would you do if you're the Broncos GM and you come in day one, um, and what's the plan around really three I think really big decisions, and the first one is Drew Locke, and so. 
you know, if you're the GM, what do you do with Drew Locke? And I think you, the way you posed it was, do you think the new GM will commit to Locke as a quarterback, starting quarterback in 2021? What's your take on that? Do I think that, so I think the new GM will probably end up doing a similar, take a similar road to what I think Elway was going to do. I think what's going to end up happening is the Broncos will end up bringing in probably a guy who is a non-threatening, stable quarterback too, is what they'll try and do. So like an Andy Dalton or a Nick Foles or somebody like that. We'll, we'll see the name. You like, There's going to be a segment of Broncos country that really hates Drew Locke that says, oh, here's the new starter. Um, and then the people that are really pro-Locke will get into a fight with them, but the rest of us in the middle will probably say, that guy's probably here. Basically, if Locke does not take any steps forward, that guy will end up being the starter by the end of the year. But the plan is basically that that guy's only there if either Locke fails or gets hurt. Because the other under, like the undercurrent behind all the Locke, if he's good enough or not, that everybody kind of overlooks, Locke has missed time in both of his seasons in the NFL. Like that's, like it's an objective fact. Like you need a backup behind him at this point, unless you're not really serious about winning anyway, because you can't count on him to stay healthy for 16 games because he hasn't done it yet. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it also, it gets to what is this new GM going to want to do right away? Is he going to want to win? And if he wants to win, you bring in a guy that competes with Locke and can potentially start if Locke can't cut it or you're not winning and you maybe replace him. Um, I, the what, way what I put think? it, yeah, yeah. The, way, the way I put it, I think it's, um, I think he's going to have to, like, there's no ties. So the new GM is going to be coming in fresh. And so, I don't think he has any incentive to commit to a guy like Drew Locke. Like he doesn't have any draft capital invested in him. None of the none of the emotional attachment. His name's not on it. And not I'm not saying like I don't know the degree to to which like I've heard the the word is that John Elway was probably the biggest champion for Locke in the building. Um, I don't know that. I don't know that for sure. But that's kind of what the rumblings are. Is that you know if Locke was going to get another shot in 2021, John Elway would be a big part of that. The new GM coming in has no incentive to commit to Locke because he has none of that invested in. So I don't see a scenario where the GM wouldn't at least explore options at quarterback. And it's a little bit on Locke, but it's also, I don't think anybody is safe. I mean, I don't think he's going to jettison Jerry Judy next year. But I think when you're a new GM and you come into a team, like every position is on the table. Von Miller's name is on the table. Everybody's name is on the table of, you know, what do you do with this person? And Drew Locke is is a part of that. And he's the most important position in the NFL. And he statistically finished out by, you know, pretty much every metric you look at as one of the bottom quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm not saying that, you know, again, we'll talk deep dive and and look at the specifics of, of what does the tape say and where do we feel like there's some, um, you know, some upside. But if you're a GM – you you have to explore your options, I think, and then you you see what happens in 2020. You let him get the chance to compete and all of that. But even if you do, I think you've got to hedge a little bit and either bring like a veteran guy in, or maybe this is your opportunity to draft a guy and let him sit for a year, and he's your hedge. If Locke works out, then good, great, you know, no problem. Let's you have a quarterback. But if Locke doesn't, you have a guy who's sat in the system, who has sat in the system for a year and is kind of your guy that you've been grooming behind him, or maybe he starts halfway through the season. And so I think of it as that route. Um, I know depending on the names, there's been some names thrown out of, and I really like champ Kelly, the bears, um, the bears assistant director 
player personnel. You know, he's obviously got connections to Nick Foles. Um, I'm not sure where he was at on the Mitch Trubisky train. Um, I know there was some some word within that organization that you know people either wanted Watson or Trubisky during that draft, but you know who knows if the Bears hang on to Trubisky next year. Not that I want him to come to Denver, but there's connections there, you know. And so I think guys like Foles and Trubisky could be those uh, a name, you know, names that are thrown around potentially if you get a guy like a Champ Kelly that has um, experience with some of them. So since since we're talking Champ Kelly, I just got to say. So th- there's kind of two parts to it. First of all, GM is such a weird position from an outside perspective to really try and get an idea on because so much of what these guys do, we don't actually know from a concrete perspective. There's so much that being a GM entails that unless you're the GM or unless you're behind the closed door and see what this guy does in his role, you don't really have any real sign to know like if he's qualified or able to really do it. Well, so we I was just say it also um it's it's who has ownership of certain decisions right yeah. and so oh, well, yeah, because the titles are so you know morphing across the league you could have a guy that wears the title of GM and he you know really didn't have a lot of power to draft i mean you think of yeah. um i don't know throw out like the cowboys or something like that where you've got like strong ownership that has a really strong opinions during draft time during certain things you know i'm not saying that guys in that office aren't good but um like like it's just a different it's a different responsibility or you're for the patriots like what does your role look like exactly you know um and so it's just it's hard to evaluate apples to apples to your point unless you get in the room and say okay what you know what decisions you're making and so you can't necessarily like with a coach you can attribute hey you know they brought in you know they coached up these guys they lost this game they won this game whatever you're the coach you're responsible for that but if you're in the personnel department like how much of a decision maker were you in you know how how big of a decision was it for you to bring in that guy were you split on him you know did you want to bring in Deshaun Watson and the the owner ended up going for Trubisky or something like that you know those are all stuff that we don't really know as fans um just looking at kind of like that person's draft history or the history of the team that they've been on Mm -hmm. and so that's that's like my segue into saying like from the outside where I'm sitting right now and knowing the guys that the Broncos have already requested interviews for champ Kelly is currently my favorite. And the rationale behind it is nothing more than this. He's already worked for Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy's offense is kind like they're it's, it's apples to oranges a little bit because they're different, but the Matt Nagy system does have some overlap with Pat Shermer's. So champ Kelly has worked for a coach and built like helped find players for a system that's very similar, or not very similar, but similar to Shermer's. And he's already worked with Fangio and helped been part of the process of acquiring players for Fangio system. So like, I like the idea that he steps in at least having a rudimentary idea of what the Broncos need at all the positions across the roster. So like, we're not losing time right now because the fact that the Broncos don't have a GM right now, it does matter because across the entire league, everyone else is scouting and trying to catch up on the draft and free agency. We're not right now, as far as I know. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and, and I agree with you that Champ Kelly is um, the leader in my mind right now too. And I mean, some of it stems from his connection with the Broncos, and not that a connection with the Broncos is everything, but I do feel like with the unique ownership situation and the unique, you know, the 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 way he's going to be stepping into this with John Elway as an advisor role, 
Joe Ellis, you know, now saying he's going to be shifting off, like all of that. If you have been in the building and have some type of connection and have a relationship, you know, built within that, I think it does go a long way to be able to step into that kind of swirly, you know, unknown situation. And he was in Denver for four years. He was in the personnel department and he also helped, um, he helped kind of score all those free agents. I mean, Peyton Manning, let's be honest, Peyton Manning helped score those free agents, but that big free agent hall that Denver pulled in after Peyton Manning came of Emmanuel Sanders, Akeem Tlaib, Demarcus Ware, um, who am I missing? TJ Ward. You know, there was a really big swath of free agents and undrafted free agents. That was the time they brought Chris Harris on too during his time. And so he was a part of that personnel department. And, you know, that's big too from a, uh, you know, player acquisition standpoint. So there's a guy that I'm friends with, like friends with on Twitter. His name is Brad Spielberger. He works for PFF. He used to work for over the cap. He's a big bears fan. And he actually floated champ Kelly's name right before basically all the reporters started to connect it because he said champ Kelly would make a lot of sense because of the connection, you know, that whole thing. But one of the things he went on to say, cause people started to give him blowback for it is his understanding is champ Kelly was a part of the process of the undrafted free agent pool searches for the bears and uh part of like kind of their low end veteran acquisitions. And the bears have actually been pretty decent in that regard over the last couple of years. So that is encouraging there. Like that kind of stuff that, that that's something you want to hear if this guy is going to be, cause it's a big part of what makes the Broncos like have some degree of depth as they've been good at finding guys that no one else wants and putting them in position to succeed. Yeah. Like, I think Malik Reed was a great find. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the connection to Fangio and what he did with Fangio, to your point of pulling those guys in, I mean, the Bears, and I, I chronicled this when Vic Fangio came to Denver, how Fangio came onto the staff and they completely retooled the the defense. And that started right around the time that Champ Kelly came over from the Broncos. Um, poor guy, he he came over right after, right during Denver's Super Bowl run. He, he joined the Bears in 2015, so he missed out on a ring. Um but he joins the Bears in 2015, and um, that was the first draft that Vic Fangio had in in 2015. And so it was, you know, obviously Ryan Pace was the in the leadership role there in the GM, but he was on that um, personnel staff, and they brought in guys like Bryce Callahan, an undrafted free agent. Um, they signed or they brought in um, safety Adrian Amos, who was a fifth year option, or excuse me. A fifth round pick. I'm still got holiday brain, guys. Uh, fifth round pick. They they got Eddie Goldman at nose tackle. The next year they brought in Danny Trevathan. They brought in Akeem Hicks in free agency. Um, you know Hicks was kind of a washed up or a unproven guy who had was a first round pick and had kind of been floating around. He wasn't a sure thing. They brought him in and kind of rehabilitated his career um, under Fangio. He drafted Leonard Floyd. Um, uh, Eddie Jackson, fourth round pick, and he just signed one of the top deals for a safety, and he's a he's a Pro Bowl player, um, great safety. And then you have Roquan Smith and um, Kyle Fuller, who was a homegrown pick, um, um, who you know I loved in the draft. Um, he was a great pick. So there's a lot of, um, and then of course the big Khalil Mack move and stuff like that, and that's just on defense in conjunction with Vic Fangio. They've done some, they did some good stuff on the offensive side too. And so, um, again, you you can't go down the list and give them credit, give him credit for everything because we don't know how it shook out and who, what guys were in his scope and, and and all of that kind of stuff. 
but it is um, indicative that the the two most recent stints he was at, they had some really, really strong acquisitions, both in free agency and in the draft. And when you had Denver with all those free agent acquisitions and then the way that the Bears kind of rebuilt in conjunction with Vic Fangio and what he wanted to do with his scheme, that seems like a really good pairing of guys that have already worked well together. They know what kind of players each other like. Um, to me, it makes a lot of sense. And to speak to the Broncos connection thing, because the other part of it that I really like about Kelly, because I'm, I'm over again, I'm part of me is anxious about the idea that the Broncos are only going to bring in somebody who already has a connection just because I don't like, I think you do need to at least hear from outside blood. Uh, just that perspective is useful because what they think of your roster, you have blinders. Everybody has blinders. Like I really, really love Jerry Judy. So like, I know for a fact that like I'm willing to overlook some of his issues with catching. I know it's there, but I have way too much faith that he'll be able to do it. That said, I'm probably gonna be right. I'm just saying, but but if he doesn't, I'm gonna look really stupid. <laughs> but but but, it, but it's because I like again, I've loved him since before the Broncos drafted him. So like I I have that. And GMs, if you're invested in a way that you actually made that pick, there's no way you don't have that. So so I do think having some outside perspective is helpful. But that said, if the Broncos are looking to go through this situation where the GM is essentially kind of like the new guy going forward, and if there's any hope for it to actually be some sort of stable situation going forward, I think somebody that has some degree of familiarity with how things were going is useful. And I think Kelly has that, and I like that. Yeah, agreed. And you know, we'll hear more on some of the other guys. I mean, obviously, I think – um, Stark from within Denver's um, organization is an it's an interesting name. You know, he was there. He's their director of college scouting, and so I think it makes sense from a continuity standpoint. But I, I do agree with you, Joe, that it would be nice to bring somebody in from outside the organization um, just to get that different perspective. And I think Kelly is a kind of a hybrid of that because he has yeah, been agreed. in Denver, um, but he's also been in another organization, seen how they do things, and would be kind of coming back. And then Kelly also is interesting because he was a former player. And so. And it doesn't count. Well, I mean, some people won't say it doesn't count, but he was actually also a former GM for the USFL. So fun fact, like he has done something sort of similar to what he might be doing, obviously on a much smaller scale. Yeah. And then you also have the the Patriots guy. I don't think there's been a official, it's not an official request for interview. Um, that Was that just a loose connection or a like, interest uh, there Dave I think, Ziegler. I, think we, I think we saw that they requested it I have not yet seen and again I got really bunkered down today but I had not seen that they were granted permission to interview Ziegler yet I assume some of these aren't being reported because like once you request it unless they turn you down a lot of it's not really newsworthy for some of the you know so I'm assuming they're going to talk to Ziegler um I also know that they reached out to uh George Patton I don't think that's going to go anywhere just because when I was digging into George Patton, he's uh, with the Vikings. George Patton has been a finalist for a couple of different GM spots. And in each situation, whenever it looks like he actually could get the job, he ends up pulling out. He's, he's worked with Rick Spielman for the Vikings for like forever. So part of it, I think is him just kind of putting his name out just to continue to be considered. I could be wrong. I, again, that's just speculation. Um, but then Terry Font, and I'm going to slaughter his last name. I apologize. Terry Fontenot, uh, he works for the Saints. He's the director of scouting there. Uh, the Broncos have requested uh, an interview with him. Um, a couple days ago when the news first broke, I was listening to Broncos Country Night and 
Benjamin Albright did say that Adam Peters is considered the number two behind Kelly. Uh, but he also said that Carolina is very interested in Peters. So as of now, as far as what I could see, and I, I did a check right before we came on, the Broncos have not formally requested an interview with Adam Peters of the 49ers yet. So I don't know if that's just we're going to find out tomorrow or even as a recording or if they just don't think that they have a real chance at him. Like I, so I don't know. Adam Peters from reports from Benjamin Albright is considered their number two. But as of now, we don't know if they're even going to interview him yet. Yeah, and again, I, I want to do a little bit more digging on some of these guys, but Adam Peters is a guy that is interest of interest to me, and um, he does have a connection, like a former connection to the Broncos. Um, he's worked with John Lynch, who you know they have a good relationship. Obviously, John Elway and John Lynch do, um, and I like what the 49ers have been doing over the last couple of years. I think they've made some really savvy moves, not only in the draft but also like maneuvering within the draft maneuvering for picks but then also in drafting guys and then i think they've done well building a roster um you know they've had some really tough injury luck but i do one like thing, i like that organization what they've been doing over the last couple of years one thing i really like with the 49ers and again we have no idea if adam peters would be bringing this to broncos but one of the things i really like about uh the 49ers is the way they structure their contracts gives them a ton of flexibility uh they'll, they'll end up giving these huge deals to free agents and everyone like when that first breaks Everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're giving so much money to so-and-so. Then you look at the way the guarantees are structured and it's essentially like a one-year deal and they can get out of it. Like they do that a lot. Like they they were able to dump Jimmy Garoppolo last year after the Super Bowl if they wanted to, in part because of the way his contract is structured. So I like that because I like this idea. Because And again, it's, it's kind of cold, but with the way performance and injuries happen in the NFL, like giving your team that kind of flexibility for the long-term protects you. Yeah. I like the Saints guy too, um, Terry um, Fontenot. That you would, I, I'm going to have to look up how to say that too, so because I want to make sure I'm saying his name correctly. Um, but you know, I like a lot, a lot, a lot of what the Saints have been doing too. Um, they've managed to keep a roster together that I've felt has been kind of on the verge for the last four years of one peaking and going downhill with an aging quarterback, but then also it feels like they've kind of been towing the cap line for like five years now and they continue right. to churn in new talent. They've done a great job in the draft um, on the offensive line. Um, they found a guy like Alvin Kamara and um, Michael Thomas, both as, you know, sub first round picks. I think Michael Thomas was a second rounder. Alvin Kamara was a fourth. And so you know, they've done a really good job, obviously having a guy like Drew Brees helps, but I like what they've done from a, a player perspective um, too. Sure. And so that could be interesting as well. So we'll see. I mean, I think that's the, you know, I, I know as much as you guys do right now in terms of the information that's being put out there. So like, you know, we're not, we don't know any secrets of who, who they're looking at or whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll know when y'all do and, and we can do a little bit more deep dives on that person's drafts and, and what they've done from a player perspective. Um, I did want to talk two things before we, before we sign off and, and kind of wrap this up is the other two big decisions that this GM, now that we've kind of gone through the candidates, we talked the Drew Locke decision. The other two big things that are kind of looming, I think, are what do you do with Von Miller? And you talked about this, Joe. You put this out there as a question. What do you do with Von Miller? And then what do you do with Justin Simmons, who's going to be a restricted free agent? You could throw Shelby Harris in there too, maybe, of what do you do with the two big free agents? I think those are mm -hmm. kind of the two big prizes for Denver um, heading into this offseason. But Von Miller and Justin Simmons, what do you do if you're the new GM day one? 
Well, know what I would do. Uh, I would keep them both. I don't have any. And again, part of this is, you know, as a fan that I, I just love them both. They're probably my two favorite players on the Broncos as of right now, other than maybe Cortland Sutton is like one of the three. Uh, honestly, I have so many though. It's hard to tell. Um, but, but the other thing is, so Von Miller's contract, his, his cap number for next year is $22.125 million. That's a lot of money. And it's a lot of money for a guy who just missed the entire season. So I get that. He's also 32. If you decline the option, the Broncos would be on the hook for four, a, a little bit over $4 million. Um, Whereas, you know, obviously if they keep him, they're going to be on the hook for all 22 of it. Uh, I've had a few different people ask me about, I got a lot of blowback. I did a, a whole GM sales pitch thing. I don't know if you saw it. A lot of people actually gave me blowback because I didn't talk about cap numbers enough. My, my, my excuse is if I was sitting down with Elway, I'm not talking numbers at a table while I'm eating steak because I'm not able to look at them. <laughs> that's, that's my excuse. But like the thing is, the other reason is the Broncos cap situation is so fluid. That in all honesty, depending on what you do, kind of all options are on the table, really. Uh, if the Broncos, like, let's say Dak came available. This is a whole thing, but, like, I won't go too far into this. If Dak became available, the Broncos could easily turn down Vaughn's, uh, Vaughn's option, cut Jarrell Casey, cut A.J. Boye, cut Kareem Jackson. They could go after Dak. And they could actually still sign Dak and probably have money left over to do something else. Like, if they wanted to do that, the Broncos could completely reshape the roster this offseason because you could you can move on from Darrell Casey, Kareem Jackson, AJ Boye, and Von Miller, and you create about fifty, I think fifty five million in cap space. Well, that's literally your top three outside of Justin Simmons, depending on what you do there. If you look yep. at Denver's roster for the twenty twenty one season, um, that's the that's the top contracts. Top contracts are Von Miller, Kareem Jackson, Darrell Casey, and AJ Boye, and so you could yep. shed you know, half of those, you could shed all of them if you're the new GM. And so, yeah, there is a lot of, you know, you could go a lot of different directions that way. Yeah. And so that's, and that's why, that's why I haven't gotten so caught up in the numbers yet, because again, all options are possible with a new GM. We have no idea what they're thinking with that stuff. But that said, yeah, I would definitely keep Vaughn for a year and I would look to see about, cause here's the thing. If you're going to re-sign Vaughn, his next contract is probably not going to be as big as this contract. And in terms of like, if I do actually hope to keep Von Miller for the remainder of his career, I personally think like starting with the number he has right now and working on the extension from there is probably the best way to keep goodwill, work it out. You may very well get money back on the extension because he's getting as much this year. Maybe not, but like you can, you can kind of work with that. Whereas if you go to him and say, we're going to decline the team option, but we want to resign you. That's not, I don't think that that's the way to start that, that negotiation. Yeah, I think, um, I don't disagree there. I, I think, and I said this in the post that you put out on this question is that I think this is an easy way for the GM to come in and put points on the board for the fan base, um, engender himself to the team, like get goodwill, um, among the roster is bringing back a Hall of Famer like Von Miller. On the flip side, or not bringing back, but you know, extending a guy like Von Miller. On the flip side, I think you don't want to be that guy that comes in and ditches the best player that the Broncos have had outside of Peyton Manning in the last decade. <laughs> you know, you you don't want to be that new guy who comes in and does that. And I know it's a business and and all of that, but for the for the new guy coming in, you know, you want the roster to trust you. And I, I think. 
this isn't the John Elway comes and signs Champ Bailey the first you know minute he gets there, but to me it's similar. Of you, you're a GM for the Broncos. You have to recognize what Von Miller means to this team and to the fan base. And unless you really, really need that cap space, I think you look at keeping him and extend him, free up a little bit of money this year potentially. It reduces his cap number, kick it into a, maybe a two-year deal that you put on the back end, and you put some easy points on the board. And you have a, a Hall of Fame-level player. Like, Von Miller hasn't slowed down. I mean, we'll see what happens after this injury, but he's still playing at a really high level. And so you also avoid going in with a massive hole at another really important position. So you're already going to be, you know, you have a big question mark at quarterback. Bradley Chubb's been hurt a lot. Um, do you really want to open up another can of worms and let your best pass rusher go when you don't know Bradley Chubb's health and there's not a ton of depth behind him? Now you're looking at potentially bring, having to bring in some big-time pass rushers either in free agency or in the draft. And so I do think you know, you're not going to – I don't think you're going to find an upgrade on Von Miller. That's for sure. Um, and there's no reason to be a miser with the money right now. Like you're not paying a quarterback. You're not having to go try to – unless you're trying to go trade for somebody or sign a big time quarterback that comes available, you have the cap space, you have the money to do it. You know, it doesn't, I don't think it hurts to keep him on. I think as a GM again, cause like every single move you would make as a personnel guy comes down to risk versus reward. And to me, like keeping Von Miller, the reward clearly outweighs the risk Agreed. in my mind. At least, and again, if you don't feel comfortable with them beyond this year, you can keep him for this year and go from there. So like I just I just don't see why you would decline it and push him out the door. Uh, what would you do with Justin Simmons? I, like I, I ramble a lot. I want to know what you would do. I think Justin Simmons is a very similar thing. It's another easy way to put points on the board for the new GM. Like to me, this is the most no brainer of a contract that you bring back a guy like Justin Simmons. You know, he's the heart and soul of a, of your defense and your locker room. He's a great guy in the community. He's been what two years in a row now nominated for Walter Payton Man of the Year. Was it him last year? Yep. I know he's he's had yeah. it two times. Yeah. Two times in a row. Like you don't let a guy like that walk. And um that's not even counting all the talent that he brings and the key piece that he is on your defense. You know, that does give you flexibility maybe to move on from Kareem Jackson. I don't know that I would unless you really need the cap space because I like how he's played. But you certainly, if you're gonna choose between the two, you don't let Justin Simmons go and keep Kareem Jackson because he's older and now you've got two safeties that you're gonna have to replace within the next year if you don't bring Simmons back. And so, and I think it also depends on how much you trust coach Fangio and his assessment of everything. But from all and you know, everything that I've seen, like coach Fangio loves Justin Simmons and he fits really well into the scheme and is a great player there. And so, um, you know, you give your coach the tools that he needs to work with. You're not going to find an upgrade on him. And it's not, again, it's not a ton of money. You can afford it. You don't need the cap space. And it's an easy way to come in from day one and kind of put your stamp on the roster of, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lock down Von Miller. I'm going to lock in Justin Simmons, something that John Elway didn't do the season before because I franchise tagged him. I'm going to get this done, put some easy points on the board, and you keep your roster in good shape. Like you get better if you sign Justin Simmons. And, and to your point, I think, Justin Simmons is the safest decision you can make in terms of like on paper, like unless you give him like $40 million, whatever you give him is a top of the market deal for a safety. Like he's one of the three best safeties in football. Like 
everything that we've seen from Justin Simmons, like on film, the numbers, how he grades out for the with advanced stats, like how he's fit two different defenses. Because again, the Broncos had to adjust their defense, and Simmons was an instrumental part in what they did to adjust to the loss of Von Miller. Like, yes, he didn't play deep as much this year, so some of his numbers in that regard went down. But also, it's because he was rotating down to cut the crossers and do stuff like that more. He was more responsible this year for the defensive performance than in years past. And the defense, again, before everybody fell off, like they were still playing at a very high level. And the thing is, he's been extremely durable. Like, yeah. again, if you sign him to an extension and he gets hurt, it doesn't look that bad. It looks defensible because you can say he had never been hurt before. Yeah. I like, think so even if he gets hurt, you can you at least say that. Yeah. I think your point on the risk reward between and both of those options is really weighs in favor of keeping both Vaughn Miller and Justin Simmons. I think Justin Simmons for sure. Like that's a slam dunk decision at the time. You know, why do you, why would you not bring a guy like that back? My last year, the excuse of like, we don't know if he can do it again. I didn't agree with it because I thought he was definitely going to do it again, but you can at least entertain it because I get it. He did it for one year and the year before he was not playing at an all pro level in 2018. I loved him. Like I thought he was doing good, but he had some issues. Like, they were asking him to do too much and they were asking him to do some things that like didn't necessarily fit his strengths. But in the last two years, he has ascended to being one of the best safeties in football. At this point, there is no reason not to extend him. Like the problem teams get into, and you and I have talked about this before, but like the problem teams get into is when you pay a really, really big money to good players, hoping that they're going to become great players. Generally speaking, signing an elite player to an elite deal, if he's not old and he's not like injury prone, those don't look bad in three years. Like the cap is still like once the COVID stuff kind of gets like gets however it's going to get sorted out. Like people are still watching a lot of football. Like TV money is still very good. Like the cap is eventually going to recover. So Justin Simmons deal is not going to look bad in two years. Yeah. Yeah. You're pay you're not paying for future performance or like for like future potential. You're paying for current performance, like the current yeah. performance that you're getting from Justin Simmons warrants this deal and you assume that he'll keep that up and there's no reason to believe that he won it under Vic Fangio in you know continuing his knowledge of that scheme and he's been super durable so yeah I think I think for a new GM that's a that's a pretty slam dunk move and it's also you know you're a new GM you want to come in and I, I keep reiterating this but I do think you know you want to come particularly if you're a young guy who has never been a GM before you want to come in, you want to put points on the board. And those are easy ways to do that. Mm -hmm. We talked about Tim Patrick. I think it's first round, second round, original round. Because Tim Patrick was an undrafted free agent, they will, at the lowest, I think they're going to give him a second rounder. They're not going to, they won't put a first on him. I don't think they're going to pay that much to him. But they'll give him a second. And I don't think another team is going to give the Broncos a second round pick to grab him. I might be wrong, but I think if they did, the Broncos would probably take the second. Yeah, I, I think that's a good call. I think it's going to be a similar situation with Philip Lindsay. I've had a, this is the one that's like really big. I've had a lot of people that basically have told me like, oh, Philip Lindsay has no reason to want to come back. The Broncos haven't respected him, all this. And again, I'm not saying you're wrong. Like some of this stuff, like some of this, that's a whole nother pot at another time. But I think what's going to happen here is the same thing. I think they're going to give Philip Lindsay a second round tender. If another team tries to sign him and give the Broncos a second round tender, the Broncos will probably take the second. 
Yeah, and I think from Philip Lindsay's perspective, there's not a lot of people handing out big time contracts to running backs right now, particularly running backs who can't catch. And you know, nothing against Philip Lindsay, but he he still has some room to improve in that department. And he was hurt for some of this year, and so I don't think that he's got a lot of options out on the market. And so, like he's yeah. been getting paid, he's been criminally underpaid for the last couple of years. But this year is finally a, a time for him to get you know a good chunk of money. It's I mean the, the second round tender is like three million dollars or more, and so it's a significant raise from where he's at. It may not be what he feels like he's worth or what he you know should get paid, but. Um, I think you'd have a hard time turning that down given just the market for running backs right now and the fact that Melvin Gordon's on the roster too. Denver, you know, he doesn't really have a lot of leverage. Denver isn't in a hurting spot for running backs. I think you keep him for another year and you see what you get out of him. Yep. And then the last one's Alexander Johnson. And I think Alexander Johnson's a no-brainer for a second rounder. Uh, And again, this year kind of did, and we'll go over this more because I do want to go back over Alexander Johnson's tape at length. But I would say that watching Johnson this year has kind of exposed some of his limitations in coverage. That said, like, he's a very, very good run defender. Like, borderline elite run defender. Honestly, with help in front of him, he may very well be an elite run defender. It was just the defensive line, the way it hollowed out, it was hard to say at times this year. But again, he's so good at run defense. Like, he's one of the people that was actually a plus defender inside. I also think he's good enough in coverage and he does enough in coverage that like, you don't just let him go for nothing. Like you would tag him with a second. If somebody offers, I think the Broncos honestly might have a conversation about it because I do think Fangio thinks a lot of him. Um, I do think that John, uh, I do think that Alexander Johnson's limitations make it almost like you almost have to find somebody else who can better compliment him than Josie Jewell. Because otherwise like the Raiders game, especially really showed off the issues the Broncos having Alexander Johnson, and Josie Jewell together against a back like Theo Riddick, uh, Booker was like this. Uh, Alvin Kamara would have been like this if the Saints had had a quarterback. Um, like they just they don't have the speed and space to really match up with those kind of guys. Again, that's why those guys make a lot of catches. So like it's not an indictment of them, but I do think ideally, especially in Fangio's system, you will try and find somebody else who can play those coverage snaps. Yeah, I think ideally Alexander Johnson isn't your your main guy that you're relying on from a coverage standpoint. And so I think that gets into the conversation that, you know, we will have in the future about off season needs. And I think, you know, I'd like to talk long and hard about linebacker and what Denver needs in that area and what I think they'll be looking for in terms of a, you know, athletic coverage backer. But yeah, from a, from a bringing him back standpoint, I think Alexander Johnson is, you know, well deserved the, um, the second round tender and, It'll be interesting to see what they do. I don't know that they would re-sign him right away because he's already so cheap. Mm-hmm. But if he has another good year, I think you you, know, you could potentially look at bringing him back um, to a long-term deal just based on the way that he's played. And I think he's played really well so far for Vic Fangio. But he's a great scheme fit. He knows the system. You know, he's been uh, um, great really since he came in. Kind of hit the ground running, and so I think he's kind of a no-brainer to bring back. Same. And I think those are, again, like those are kind of the three that people have been worried about the most. I think, I do think that the Broncos will probably do something along the offensive line. I wouldn't be surprised if they're interested in Wilkinson. I know, I know you and I have been very honest about Elijah Wilkinson. I know fans have been very critical of Elijah Wilkinson because Elijah Wilkinson's had a lot, a lot of struggles. 
But Mike Munchak seems to think a lot of him. Uh, the fact that he was playing over DeMar Dotson down the stretch to me is a sign that the Broncos will try and at least give him a fair deal to come back. I don't think they're going to give him a big deal. But I do think that they see him as kind of the ideal swing guy, um, unless they find somebody better. But but yeah, other than that, uh, we've been on for a minute. Uh, I kind of want to see if our country is still in place. So I think it's probably a good time to end. Um, next week, guys, we do plan to do a very deep dive on the quarterback position. Any questions about quarterback, we would love to hear them because we will give them to Tim Jenkins or try and answer them ourselves. Yeah, we're really um, excited about having um, Tim Jenkins uh, from Jenkins Elite. I'm sure you've seen him on Twitter, um, and he's graciously um, agreed to come on to the podcast and really give us his overall thoughts on the quarterback position, but also Drew Locke. He's, he watches a lot of Drew Locke tape, um, does great breakdowns every week. Um, if you haven't seen those on YouTube and so we're excited, we always love to, you know, like we have been throughout the season and kind of when we, since we started this show, we like to try to have smart people on, um, any, anybody that can talk more, you know, that can, uh, any, the less that Joe and I are talking and we have smarter people on than us that are talking the better. Um, and hopefully, you know, you guys get something out of it too. And, um, we have a good conversation. So be looking forward to that next week. 